1: Ask not what your country can do for you. Ask what you can do for your country. Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. I can hear you. The rest of the world hears you. And the people... And the people who knocked these buildings down will hear all of us soon. And we will make
3: America great.
1: This is America First with Sebastian Gorka.
0: Thank you for joining us on America First with today's very special guest host, Cleveland's own Bob France.
1: Greetings and welcome. Greetings from the glorious Midwest and the once beautifully red state of Ohio that is in a very, very dangerous state of flux right now. I appreciate you joining us, as you just heard from Dr. G, who's very, very occupied today in a very, very special place. He is, um, he is at Mar-a-Lago having a series of, shall we call them meetings, shall we call them strategy sessions, shall we call them, I don't know, uh, planning sessions, maybe job interviews with what he uh, respectfully and delightfully calls the boss. Yes, Seb is meeting with former president Trump leading candidate Trump leading defense a defendant in a whole bunch of political trials Trump and uh, they are strategizing. They are uh, communicating. And it's going to be really glorious to see what he says tomorrow when he comes back about what they talked about. If he is, of course, at liberty Liberty to discuss those things. But, uh, yes, I am Bob France in Cleveland, Ohio, AM 1420. The answer is how you can find me uh, daily from 9 a.m. to noon. WHKradio.com is a good way to do that. You can listen to it online, WHKradio.com. You can find me on Twitter at France Rants, F-R-A-N-T-Z, R-A-N-T-Z, on Facebook, on Rumble. On Truth Social and on Instagram at Always Right Radio. Always Right Radio. I want to start today's America First with a very special greeting. But before I do it, I, I want to I say I, I can understand why there's not a whole lot of celebration going on right now in the West Wing. There's not a whole lot of celebration uh, going on in the Oval Office. Uh, in the residence, uh, anywhere that the president of the United States is hanging out today, despite the fact that there should be, because after all, who doesn't like to celebrate their birthdays, right? I mean, shh. You see, today is is Joe Biden's birthday. Quiet as it's being kept, you see, because. He just turned 81 years old. And again, one would think what most of us do in our personal lives, if we've got a grandparent or a great grandparent or somebody else who's a senior citizen and they turn 80, it's a milestone. I mean, if you turn 80, as a man, you have already outlived the average median lifespan of an American man. I believe it's around 74, 75 for a male, and it's around 77, 78 for a female is kind of the average uh, life expectancy. You make it to 80, you are doing something fantastic. You make it to 81, it's a celebration. And everywhere he goes, people should be saying, happy birthday, Mr. President, but I have it on good authority that anybody that sees Joseph R Biden today at the white house or anywhere else in the course of his duties, if they say happy birthday to him, they are quickly hushed because the last thing that the Biden administration and that the Biden family wants to do right now is acknowledge that Joe Biden just got another year older. Because Joe Biden continues to suffer through the worst approval ratings in the history of the NBC job approval ratings polls. And the overwhelming number one topic of those people who disapprove of the job he's doing is people who are worried about his age, because of his daily, literally his daily evidence of cognitive decline of slipping mental acuity of slipping physical acuity as he walks aw- along with that strange gait of his that just cannot help but be reminiscent of of a senior living in a re- in a rest home who, who doesn't pick his feet up and and step one after the other, because that, that, you know, that involves some risk that one is going to step the wrong way and down he goes. So what do they do? Those old, they put him in styrofoam slippers and they just kind of shuffle. So anywhere Joe Biden is shuffling along today, if anybody says happy birthday, Mr. President, we're not drawing attention to the president's age. We don't want Americans to be worried that he's too old to serve not just this last year of his presidency in term one, but that there would be four more after he wins reelection in 2024. And by that time, he would be 86. So, shh, nobody needs to know that. So, in deference, to how they're trying to keep things very very low-key in the White House now so that nobody really 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 pays attention to the fact that the clock has ticked one more time that it complete he has just completed one more full revolution or orbit around the Sun in deference to that we're gonna we're gonna keep it really really low as well so as quiet as we can keep it hit it and crank it up loud and let everybody know the old man-in-chief the dementia-addled president the guy who cannot speak the guy who cannot climb stairs today is his birthday he's 81 years old he's very decrepit He cannot form sentences. He doesn't know where he is. He gets lost on stage. He shakes hands with people who aren't there. He doesn't have a single competent bone left in his skeletor like Weekend at Bernie's body. He's being propped up up behind podiums like... Like Hannibal Lecter on a two-wheeled appliance dolly where they roll him out there and they prop him up and they balance him in there there while he tries to read from cue cards that he can't help but flipping over because he doesn't know what he's doing, thereby showing the cameras everything that he's told to say and do. Yes, today is Joe Biden's birthday. Happy birthday, Mr. President. Let's let everyone know far and wide that you are now 81 years of incompetence. 81 years of unable to distinguish between people in your own, to distinguish who's alive and who is not. One of my favorites from his 80th year was when he did not know that a long-time congresswoman from Indiana that he proclaimed to be a friend and a colleague and an ally was dead. Looking around, where's Jackie? Where's Jackie? I don't see Jack. She's dead, sir. Oh, well, then uh, she, I guess she has an excuse. That was worse than when he, he told a crippled man to stand up so we can all get a, give you a round of applause. Oh, damn, Chuck, I'm sorry. What? It gets worse by the year. Quite frankly, it gets worse by the month. It gets worse by the week. It gets worse by the day, and it gets worse by the hour. Which is why there are so few of them that they actually have him working. There are so few of them that they actually have him on the job. What do I mean by that? I mean exactly calling lids by noon, starting the day at ten, calling lid by noon because he's asleep by twelve thirty. That's what I'm talking about. And the reality is that this old man, which by the way is not a reflection of old men. Period. I have callers to my Cleveland, Ohio radio show who proudly acknowledge I'm in my 92nd year, Bob. I'm in my 90th year, Bob. I'm in my 88th year, Bob, who sound vibrant, not just lucid, but but wise. Uh, I mean, extraordinarily uh, well-versed in what they're talking about. They speak clearly. They're competent. This guy isn't incompetent just because he's 81, but not, every, not everybody ages the same. He's incompetent because he's Joe Biden. And his 81 years now are a huge, huge, huge sore spot for the left and for the Biden family and for the DNC. So let's all acknowledge on your social media today. Happy birthday, Joe Biden. You're 81. You should never, ever win another term in office you will be an even older incompetent man so happy birthday to joe biden we're just getting started on america first
0: hi everyone if you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault listen up we have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free
1: You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth.
0: Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-702-5400.
1: Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states.
0: Threats to our financial freedom and stability are growing. China, Russia, India, Brazil, and Saudi Arabia are conducting international trade in local currencies, not the U.S. dollar. Rising interest rates and bad loans are exposing the banking system and causing failures. The Biden administration sends hundreds of billions abroad while depleting our strategic oil reserves and ignoring crumbling infrastructure. However, the biggest financial threat may be coming from within. Central bank digital currency is real. Patents have been filed and the big banks have released plans for implementation. The vets at Midas Gold Group see tyrannical implications. The end of cash? the end of financial privacy? Big government able to see your every purchase? Could there be ties to a social credit system? You can own private currency. Gold and silver. Get free silver just for asking Midas Gold Group how you can use your retirement to own physical gold. Call Midas Gold Group today at eight five five three two two gold That's 855-322-4653. MidasGoldGroup.com. I'm Seb Gorka. Now let's get back to the show with Bob Franz.
1: All right, thank you, Dr. G. It's uh, 7 and 10 minutes before the top of the hour on a Monday, and you know at this time on a Monday what that means. It's time to talk to John Solomon, CEO, editor-in-chief of Just the News, award-winning investigative journalist joining us now via Skype on America First. John Solomon, good to talk to you. How are you today? Yeah, good to be with you, Bob. Good. Doing well. So we're going to talk a little bit about one of the, uh, the the more breaking stories last couple of days on Just the News. And it's about Hunter Biden and about how he managed to keep making money even as he recovered from his addictions. And even after he was no longer on the board of Burisma or any of the other uh, countries from China to Romania to Kazakhstan where he was making money, he All still right. managed to do it with the help of somebody named Kevin Morris. John, who the hell is Kevin Morris?
2: Well, Kevin Morris was a gracious donor to Joe Biden's 2020 campaign. He met Hunter Biden, reportedly in The New York Times, uh, through a fundraiser with um, one of Joe Biden's fundraisers in November 2019 or December 2019. The dates are a little vague, but end of 2019. Uh, And very soon afterwards, they become friends. And Kevin Morris, a Hollywood lawyer, a guy who's been associated with such successes as South Park and other big things like that, He starts uh, writing checks to cover Hunter Biden's bills, which are substantial. There are millions of dollars, at least two millions of dollars, in overdue IRS tax debts and state tax debts. Uh, There are child support due for that uh, child in Arkansas that he fathered. There is a $20,000 a month rent at a California home. And Kevin Morris graciously starts helping uh, Hunter Biden by covering all these bills when all that foreign money suddenly dried up. And then they're converted into loans into promissory notes Uh, by the time at least in the records i've seen those promissory notes now total 5.3 million dollars meaning that since joe biden began running for president hunter biden has been the beneficiary of 5.3 million dollars of loans from kevin morris a donor to his father's campaign a person he met through the campaign uh it's how hunter Biden essentially has lived the last couple of years
1: so he's getting all of this money from Kevin Morris. It's now, as you said, been kind of, you know, transferred into loans from gifts to loans. And it means it's got to be paid back. Right. How, how is Hunter paying these, these loans back? Do we have any evidence that he is paying these loans back? And what is his so- source of income now that he can continue to live the lavish lifestyle that he has been living and also paying back five and a half million dollars to Kevin Morris?
2: Yeah, so uh, uh, the paperwork I saw, which is the information that federal investigators and congressional investigators have gathered, uh, shows that the uh, interest is being charged at 5% a year on the loan. So it's, uh, that's what the 5% interest is. But none of the repayments are due to begin until October 2025, which means for the whole first term, Hunter Biden doesn't have an obligation to pay anything back. And then they begin a series of payments uh, starting in October twenty-five. Some of them stretch out all the way to uh, 2029. So there's a long grace period before Hunter Biden has to uh, fork over our money. By the way, that grace period goes beyond the next time Joe Biden would have to run for re-election, 2024, there's still no requirement for uh, Hunter Biden to pay the money back. That starts in 2025. So that's a fact that has caught the attention of some of the congressional investigators. Um, w- the only uh, income that I've been able to uh, identify for Hunter Biden beyond the assistance that Kevin Morris gave, is that he sold about a million dollars, at least in gross sales from his paintings, had, uh, <laughs> an art deal that he got with Burgess Gallery yeah I sold about a twelve of them about over a million dollars one bundle I think goes for eight seventy five thousand alone just a bundle of eleven photos but uh paintings. So uh, but that's another situation where a Democratic uh, donor is uh, or Democratic fundraiser is involved. The original contract lists as the agent a woman who raised money for Joe Biden's campaign. So it now helps us understand why the IRS whistleblowers who testified this summer said, you know, at one point we began looking at whether Joe Biden's campaign was accepting uh, illegally large gifts. That's what they were talking about, these loans from Kevin Morris, maybe other things. Uh, The fact that these people were tied to the campaign when Hunter Biden was getting the assistance, that at least raised the suspicion of the IRS and FBI agents. Now, federal prosecutors decided they didn't want to go down that path. But at least now we know how Hunter Biden lived, who was helping him, and why the IRS and FBI had at least
1: some suspicions about these transactions. Well, don't you wish we all had it so good that, you know, things get a little bit tired, run a little (laughs) low on cash, monthly budget's a little bit light. I'll sketch out something on the back of a cocktail napkin and somebody's going to give me $250,000 for it. This is so extraordinarily, obviously illegal. uh, And I hope, uh, and I know James Comer is all over this. I know oversight. I know Judiciary and everybody else. They're trying to get to Kevin Morris. They're going to probably end up subpoenaing him along with a lot of the other Hunter Biden associates. John Solomon, let's pivot now to J6. True to his word, Speaker Johnson released them toward the end of last week to everybody by way of government website. You can click on the links. However, of course, it's very cumbersome to try to work your way through all of these 44,000 hours that way. What do you want to see done with what you have seen thus far as far as the content of these public tapes?
2: Well, keep in mind, I began looking at these tapes when uh, Speaker Kevin McCarthy was still in office. He gave me access. I did quite a few stories on really important things, things like, oh, uh, the Secret Service brought Kamala Harris within a few feet of that bomb at the DNC without sweeping the property. Oh, they left a door open and hundreds of people came through the Capitol. Police left a door open and allowed hundreds of the um, uh, intruders to come through that door. Uh, Another very important piece uh, police left their own riot gear on the ground, and they allowed it to be grabbed by uh, the rioters, which is a real violation of the basic security protocols that police officers are trained beginning when they go to police academy. So I've seen a lot of footage, uh, hundreds of hours of footage that I've reviewed. Uh, I think uh, the more people go through it, it's cumbersome. You'll find more and more stories. To me, there's already a very compelling narrative, which is, The one thing the January 6th committee did not want the American people to see so that they could stay on their Trump, Trump, Trump narrative, which they did, the Democratic uh, committee did, was that there were glaring security failures. These failures began. Three weeks before January 6, when intelligence began coming in from the MPD, from the FBI, from Homeland Security Department, from the Marshal Service, saying there's going to be violence, a high degree of chance of violence on January 6th, and the security plan was not adequately adjusted. Then the uh, National Guard wasn't turned out, and then on that day, you see egregious security failures fumbling by the police things like pushing a door open and leaving it unlocked so people can come through like the kamala Harris episode at the dnc uh like the uh, security gear being left on and oh while they were fighting john we've got 30
1: john solomon we've got 30 seconds left here what are you working on you and your team at just the news working on right now with these tapes
2: beyond Beyond the footage that they have released, I'm looking at body cam footage from the NPD. I think there's going to be a lot of news coming out of that in the next couple of weeks.
1: John Solomon, Just the News, editor-in-chief and uh, and, uh, CEO. John, thank you. Keep up the great work. This is real news, not fake news when you go to justthenews.com. Thank you, John Solomon. I'm Bob France in for Dr. G. This is America First. Stay here.
0: on this my pillows 20 year anniversary with over 80 million my pillows sold mike lindell wants to thank you by giving you the lowest price in history on their my pillows you will receive a queen size my pillow for just $19.98, regular price $69.98 and just $10 more for a king size. You will receive deep discounts on all my pillow products such as bed sheets, mattress toppers, pet beds, mattresses, my slippers and so much more. This is the time to try out some of their other amazing products you've had your eye on. Go to MyPillow.com, click on the radio podcast square and use promo code Gawker to receive this amazing offer on the queen size my pillow for $19.98 or call 800-829-847 6, 8. This offer comes with a 10-year warranty and a 60-day money-back guarantee. It's time to start getting the quality sleep you deserve. Go to MyPillow.com, promo code G-O-R-K-A, or call 800-829-8468 today. MyPillow.com, code Gorka. Said Gorka. Now let's get back to the show with Bob France.
1: Yeah, let's do exactly that. Thank you, Dr. G. 20 minutes after four on the east, uh, in the eastern time zone of things. Uh, Dr. G, by the way, is uh, he's also in the eastern time zone, but he's a little further south of where I am right now. He's down, as a matter of fact, at Mar-a-Lago talking with the boss as he so respectfully and accurately refers to former president and potentially future president, Donald Trump. So Dr. G is with uh, President Trump today. He will be back in his big chair tomorrow, hopefully with a report on what they discussed. We want to discuss some things now with our good friend, uh, Robert Spencer. Robert Spencer is the uh, founder and the CEO of the um, of Jihad Watch, online at jihadwatch.org. Robert Spencer is one of the most knowledgeable uh, individuals, I think, uh, working in America and maybe around the world when it comes to the Middle East, when it comes to the ongoing conflicts with Israel and their surrounding Arab neighbors. Robert Spencer, good to have you back uh, here on America First. How are you, sir?
4: Just great. Always good to talk to you, Bob. Thank you.
1: I always enjoy it. Um, I wanted to get your response first to the survey. I was not shocked one bit. I was talking about this earlier. Uh, I said in the in the de- couple of days after the October 7th atrocities, Robert, um, I said, do not distinguish between Hamas and Palestinians who are civilians because so many of those Palestinians are just Hamas in waiting. There, there's Hamas members and there's future Hamas members uh, all throughout the Gaza Strip. Now we, here's why I said that. Now we have an actual survey. It was conducted by the uh, Arab World for Research and Development as of November 14th. So six days ago, after five weeks of marinating in the atrocities of October 7th, they were asked whether or not they support Hamas and support what happened on October 7th. 75% of them, Robert Spencer, say yes, they support Hamas. They support uh, the, specifically the attacks of October 7th, and they do not support a two-state solution. They want Israel gone. What do you what's your reaction?
4: I wasn't in the least surprised either, Bob. This is exactly what we would expect after the Gazans chose Hamas in 2005, and they have never shown any sign of rejecting them ever since. Biden said uh, when he met with Netanyahu that Hamas does not represent the Palestinians. And that was flatly false. As the poll indicates, this is the government that they want. And the fact is, nobody wants to talk about it, nobody wants to admit it, but what Hamas do, is doing is what Hamas did on October 7th, is in accord with Islamic teaching and Islamic law regarding jihad, regarding the Jews, regarding the idea of Islamic land and the necessity to drive out those who supposedly drove them out, as the Quran says. And so there's no reason for anybody in Gaza to object if they hold the same Islamic beliefs, and so there was absolutely no surprise to this poll whatsoever.
1: Yeah, and, you know, and and it's yeah. it's it's so disturbing because. The, the reason why it, it matters so much is, again, we spent, you know, maybe as a country and maybe the world a day, a day and a half, really being shocked and and, and disgusted by the atrocities of October 7th. By the time October 9th came around, say, you know, and, and Israel's defense forces were planning their, their retaliation and their, their self-defensive exercises, as I call them in Gaza, everybody's attention turned from the atrocity committed against the Jewish people to the, hey, don't hurt anybody in gaza when you're going after hamas over there those are innocent people robert between that poll and then some of the videos we have seen of the non-hamas Gazan civ- uh, civilians as they're called beating stomping and desecrating the bodies of the jews that are being paraded through their streets shows that these are not innocent
4: people at all are they no uh, i'm sure there might be a few somewhere but for the most part you're talking about people who believe in what the Quran says. The Quran says, kill them wherever you find them. It says the Jews are the worst enemies of the Muslims. It says, never give, never back down when you have the upper hand. And there's no reason to expect that people who believe that these things are the statements of the creator of the universe are gonna act in any different way. And so why wouldn't they be cruel, brutal, horrific to the Jews? The Quran also says, Muhammad is the apostle of Allah, those who follow him are ruthless to unbelievers, merciful to one another. The problem we have in the West is that nobody ever took Islam seriously as an aspect of the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. And yet you look at Hamas's charter and how Hamas talks about, how Hamas leaders talk about the conflict, they all refer to Islam, beginning, middle and end, and to nothing else. And so if we really want to understand What's going on in Gaza? We have to understand Islam.
1: Well, I'm glad you brought up the Hamas charter, Robert Spencer. Um, I want to read just one portion of, uh, of Article 7 of the Hamas charter for those who don't know what you and I are talking about. Quote, the day of judgment will not come about until Muslims fight the Jews. Killing the Jews, when the Jew will hide behind stones and trees. The stones and trees will say, O Moslems, O Abdullah, there is a Jew behind me, come and kill him. Only the Garchad tree would not do that because it is one of the trees of the Jews. That is a direct quote from from Article Seven of the Hamas Covenant, the Hamas Charter. So for anybody who says they're just trying to be free, they just don't want to be oppressed, they just want to you know want to have live in peace, no they don't. They want to kill every Jew that lives, and it's in their charter, and as we just discussed, Robert, they're supported by seventy five percent of Palestinians in Gaza and the West Bank.
4: Yeah, Bob, and it's not just in the Hamas Charter, but that's a statement that's attributed to Muhammad, the prophet of Islam. And so you have the most revered figure in Islam, the founder of the religion, the man who is called an excellent example in the Quran, the man considered to be the perfect man and the model for emulation that every Muslim should imitate, and he's saying— the end times, the last day, will not come until Muslims kill Jews, then killing Jews, you see, becomes a holy, a sacred act. It becomes an act of service to Allah. And so it's not murder as we would see it. It is something that they're doing in order to get closer to their God. And that just sounds crazy to Westerners, but we have to understand it from the standpoint of the believing Muslims.
1: Robert Spencer is our guest. He is the director of Jihad Watch. He is one of the most knowledgeable men on the Muslim Brotherhood and the uh, the, the you know decades long uh, conflict between uh, Israel and what uh, is, I guess, referred to as Palestine, even though there is no Palestine. But, Robert, um, I want to talk about the propaganda war and I want to talk about the attempt to silence anybody that tells the truth about what Hamas is and what this means. Also to the United States, there is a political cartoonist, an editorial cartoonist, whose name is Michael Ramirez. He did a cartoon for the Las Vegas Review Journal. He's a Pulitzer Prize winner, by the way. And his uh, cartoon ran in the Washington Post. And it depicts senior Hamas official uh, Ghazi Hamad. You can see it on your screen now if you're watching this show. And he has got... Well, babies and women tied to his body, a literal human shield. When we use that term, it's not a euphemism. Uh, Hamas fighters hide behind uh, civilians. Well, this particular cartoon shows him with babies and and women tied to him while he says, how dare Israel attack civilians? Because if they shoot to kill the Hamas terrorists, they're going to hit the... uh, the, uh, the civilians that he is literally hiding behind. We're going to have you on for another segment here because we've got less than 20 seconds here, Robert Spencer, but I want you to see that. I want everybody who's watching and listening to the show to have the ability to see that too, and we'll get Robert Spencer's reaction to that cartoon being spiked as a part of the propaganda campaign in support of Palestinian and Hamas causes. That'll be next as we continue on America First.
0: Ted Gorka. Now let's get back to the show with Bob France.
1: Yeah, Dr. G, let's do exactly that now. It is 33 minutes past the hour, and we continue with Robert Spencer, the director of Jihad Watch. Robert, let's throw that picture back up there, too, for anybody who's watching the show to be able to see this, too. This is the editorial cartoon done by Michael Ramirez, uh, who said his cartoon was pulled off the Washington Post page because critics said it was racist for stereotyping and demonizing Palestinians. It's a caricature of one specific Palestinian, Hamas terrorist Ghazi Hamad. Uh, the caricature looks exactly like him, and he is hiding behind uh, behind uh, children and women, which, of course, is uh, you know the human shield thing that everybody is talking about with respect to Hamas. So uh, they spiked it, and he wrote an article, a very strong article defending his cartoon uh, that ran in Newsweek. So, Robert Spencer, now that you've had a chance to see it and actually see the response, what's your reaction to this being spiked?
4: Well, I think it's ridiculous that anybody said that this was racist and even more ridiculous that The Washington Post apparently took that claim seriously enough to spike the cartoon. It's just plain fact. The Palestinians have been accused of using human shields for years. The UN even has taken notice of it, despite the fact that the UN is inveterately anti-Israel. The Shifa hospital, we have just seen, over the last few days, all the ways in which Hamas was running this command and control center from the middle of a civilian installation, clearly using the hospital patients, as well as the doctors and the staff, as human shields. And so it was factual. So what what, what race is involved here? And the idea that Palestinians are somehow maligned well, where are the Palestinians denouncing the Hamas' use of human shields, which is obvious? Where are the Palestinians who say Hamas really ought not to be mounting attacks from schoolyards and hospitals and places like that? But it's clear that Hamas wanted to just to, to draw retaliatory fire that would kill civilians, that it could use for propaganda purposes, and that's what the cartoon is about. So I commend Ramirez for standing up and not backing down. In his Newsweek piece.
1: I commend him also for okay. responding with, um, with another cartoon. Show the uh, edited version, which he just titled Take Two because he was accused of of, you know again it was a racist caricature it was not it looked exactly like Hamad so he just went ahead and did the have a nice day yellow smiley face and put them on there does that look better Um, so clearly he's mocking them for their 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 criticism uh, showing you know he truly is a free speech absolutist he even defends his critics saying everybody has a right to criticize but they should also respect my right to editorialize by way of my profession which of course is as a graphic artist like that Robert, um, pivoting now to the pause. We are told this morning, as I woke up this morning and started my prep for my morning show, um, there were negotiations for the release of some hostages. Don't know how many. Don't know if they're going to be all women and children or what have you. If there would be an agreement to a days-long pause in the fighting and in the uh, rooting out of Hamas in Gaza, do you think such a pause should happen? And do you think there's any realistic chance of getting all of those hostages out alive?
4: It should not happen. There is a possibility of getting all the hostages out alive. But the thing about the pause and the negotiations, why should there be any negotiations at all? What they want to do is trade these hostages for terrorists who are in prison in Israel. And then those terrorists would just go back to fighting against Israelis. So that would only reward Hamas for taking hostages and give them incentive to take more. The last thing they should do is make that kind of an agreement with Hamas. Also, any pause in the fighting at this point will give Hamas a chance to regroup and fight more strongly. As a matter of fact, here again, it all goes back to Islam. In Islam, you are not to ask for a truce with the infidel enemy unless he's about to convert to Islam, which is not in play in this, in this issue, or you are losing and you need time to gather strength. A pause would be exactly that. Hamas is losing. They need time to gather straight. And now the leftist establishment of the world, Biden, the European Union, the U.N., all the rest, they want to give Hamas that chance.
1: Robert Spencer, you have an article on FrontPageMag.com today uh, talking about American cities that support Palestine to the point or or what the mythical land of Palestine, but Palestinians, Massachusetts and Michigan cities displaying Palestinian flags in solidarity. How can they express solidarity on American soil for enemies of Israel and enemies of America?
4: It's a terrible thing, really, and it just shows the historical ignorance of the people involved. North Andover, Massachusetts, they said, this is not the flag of terrorism. This is a flag of a country, a culture, a people. But the fact is, there never were Palestinians. This is a rhetorical trick that was invented in order to have a weapon against Israel. There's no mention of the Palestinian people before 1964.
1: That's, that's, that's very, very important that people know that. That's why we turn to you, Robert Spencer, uh, director of Jihad Watch, online at jihadwatch.org. He knows it better than anybody else, and we will be back.
0: Seb Gorka. Now let's get back to the show with Bob France.
1: All right, it is 5, or excuse me, it is 20 minutes uh, past the hour. I say 5 because I'm in the Eastern time zone. If you were in the Pacific time zone, it would be past 3 now that it's only a two-hour difference. You understand. Uh, thanks for being with us. Uh, live in the ReliefFactor.com studios of Cleveland, Ohio, AM 1420. The answer. Joined now on America First by Darren Beatty of Revolver News as we talk about uh, Speaker Mike Johnson doing exactly what he promised he would do, and that is deliver. Uh, the 44,000 hours or so of J6 tape to the American people for everyone to see. Darren Beatty, thanks for the time. Good to have you here on America First. How are you? Great to be here. Thank you. Good to talk to you. I'm so glad that we finally got this. You know, there's a number of things that we have to ask about this. First of all, you, like everybody, has probably been combing through as much of it as you can. It's hard to, you know, kind of find your way through 44,000 hours of tape waiting to stumble across the things that are the most valuable. From what you have seen that has been presented, what's your reaction to, uh, to the way it has been presented? J6 has been presented as an insurrection.
3: Well, from my personal perspective, I've been deeply steeped in this for many years. And so it's really nothing new narratively. I think what's, you know, we've already known that the Capitol Police opened the doors. We've already known based on existing footage that the Capitol Police gratuitously provoked violence um, with the flashbangs and everything. So all of these things we've already known based on pre-existing footage. And so I think the significance of this recent release, and it is significant, don't get me wrong, is simply in reinforcing the narrative that those who've looked at things closely already knew was the true narrative and disseminating this widely throughout Twitter X and other platforms so people who haven't paid close attention to this can finally see and say, Look, this video footage directly and dramatically contradicts the official narrative that's been shoved down our throats day in and day out for years.
1: Yeah, it really has. Darren, I did say we're talking to Darren Beatty he 's the founder of Revolver.news. Um, I did see something I had not seen before in the previous uh, iterations, you know, what Kevin McCarthy released to Tucker and what Tucker presented before. Um, and that is Jack Posobick uh, posted the video, among others. That's where I happened to see it this morning of Capitol Police shooting into the crowd without warning from perched positions. I had not seen that before. Is there is there more of that? And what do you make of that, Darren?
3: Well, again, I mean, these things, for, for those who have been really looking at this stuff, this is already well known. But the fact that you're saying you've seen this for the first time indicates how significant this is. A lot of people are mm-hmm. seeing this for the first time because, you know, people have busy lives and you can't do a deep dive on everything. And um, it's important to constantly re-up the correct narrative in people's Consciousness, um, because you never know when somebody's going to see it for the first time and say, "Oh, you know, everything they told me was a lie," and this is indeed dramatic footage of the cops shooting into the crowd, and again, totally gratuitous, um, unprovoked, unnecessary. Mm-hmm. In addition, in addition to undermining the official regime narrative of what I've called the Fed surrection for quite some time now, I think it's particularly subversive coming out now because there's an unavoidable um, if implicit comparison to the recent left-wing protests you've seen, for instance, outside of the DNC building. Right. That really paints a marked contrast to what actually happened on January 6th. And one can only imagine if the crowd control were to do um, to those protesters, what they did to the people on January 6th. I mean, frankly, I would, I would welcome it at this point if they were to do it to the, to the protesters now, but there's such a, such a stark difference in how these things are treated narratively in the media. But not that we even needed this newest juxtaposition, because going back, we already had the contrast with the Black Lives Matter protests and how those were treated. Black Lives Matter right. protests were even more violent than the pro-Palestinian protests you see now, by far. Uh, by so, far. building buildings burned, so bar- cars burned, smashed,
1: yeah. vandalism, people attacked. And oh, you're exactly right, dear. And i want to go back to the Fed part of what you said for a moment too. Mm-hmm. What, what is your understanding of ghost buses, and what did you think of? Christopher Ray answering, I believe it was uh, Clay Higgins, uh, saying, I've never heard that term before. Weren't these the buses that were filled with feds that that, that were verified, that were amongst the crowd? Remember, they admitted at one point they, they lost track of how many feds they actually had in the crowd that day. They don't even know what the number is because it was too high.
3: Well, January six was replete with feds from a variety of different agencies, and things are so compartmentalized that often – Feds would interact with feds and not even know their feds because one of them was an FBI informant. The other guy was a DHS operative. You know, the other ones weren't feds, but they were working for, you know, some outfit out of the D.C. Metro Police. And so there are so many different groups um, operating at the same day with, I would imagine, limited communication and in a hyper compartmentalized fashion.
1: Well, we saw that on some part. of the we saw that on, on some of these new videos didn't we Darren where one is arresting the other or something and the one who is being arrested kind of has to flash his badge to show no I'm on I'm, I'm I'm you know embedded here with you guys or or with my crew and you guys I'm one of you we're on the same side here those are some of the things again that I did not see from the original release uh, you know that Tucker had this is new stuff and this is shocking
3: yeah as for the badge I'm not sure if we're thinking about the same one but my understanding is there is some kind of ambiguity as to what that was. I don't know if that was ultimately confirmed to be a badger for thinking about the same video. But the long story short is, yes, there are undercover cops everywhere. There were feds everywhere. This has been substantiated for a long time. Not I mean, Revolver News is known for introducing the fedsurrection thesis into the national conversation. But this stuff has been well known. The the New York Times did a piece begrudgingly years ago, acknowledging that the FBI had multiple informants in the Proud Boys who were reporting on the developments of January 6th in real time and even from inside the Capitol as the event um, was unfolding. So, um, absolutely. As for the buses, um, there is an important uh, uh, issue that's called the hippies for Trump van, people used to call it. And we reported on this extensively in a very early piece years ago, one of our uh, one, uh, I think it was part two of our two-part Meet Ray Epps series. And yeah, there was a bus that was stopped right outside of the Department of Justice on January 5th with explosives. And they arrest, you know, they took down the people's names and everything. And You'd think, in light of something like that, with "Stop the Steal" written on the bus, of course, and the and the people in the bus very suspicious. Even with something like that, you would think, okay, now Nancy Pelosi, the mayor of D.C., would finally re- relent and allow the heightened security that Trump administration had been pushing for. Yeah.
1: They requested From and did
3: need push for yeah. Darren. Darren, and we're so, going to need a, a time out
1: here, but there's still three elements I want to ask you about. One is about what, the, what this, the, the revelation of all of these new tapes might do to existing uh, political prisoners for J6. Two, the J6 committee and whether or not investigation should be done. And three, whether a separate investigation into the feds that were there and what their responsibility was in all of this. So I'm going to ask you to answer all three of those on the other side. Bob France in for Dr. G. We'll be back.
0: I'm Seb Gorka. Now let's get back to the show with Bob France.
1: Yes, and back to our conversation with Darren Beatty of uh, Revolver.News. He's the founder, and it's a tremendous site. I love what I love about the Revolver homepage, by the way. There's no fancy stuff. There's no pictures, a bunch of graphics. It's just straight up, here are the stories. Here's what you need to read. Great stuff there. Let's talk now about uh, the committee. Darren Beatty, the J6 committee, did everything they could to hide the reality of what those videos were going to show. That's why they kicked, of course, Jim Banks and Jim Jordan off of it before it got started, uh, and it was comprised solely of Democrats and Republican Democrats, essentially, because they didn't want to have to answer for this. Now, Mike Lee, Senator Leif Utah is calling for an investigation of the investigators of the J6 committee. Will they get one?
3: Well, I certainly hope so. It remains to be seen, but you're absolutely right in your characterization of the committee. I used to describe it as a committee comprised of Democrats, who hate Trump and his supporters, and Republicans who hate Trump and his supporters yep. even more. You could argue that Liz Cheney and her ilk and Adam Kinzinger,
1: Kinzinger yep.
3: the man who cries, um, you know, these people hate Trump and his supporters. And you know, Kinzinger, he's never encountered a Trump supporter that he didn't want to see rotting in jail for 50 years. With one exception: there's one January 6th participant that he actually bends over backwards. To defend, and that happens to be Ray Epps. So I think people can put two and two together on that one. Yeah, absolutely right. And
1: speaking of the prisoners, I'm glad you brought that up because that was going to be one of the other one of the three follow ups I wanted to have with you. Do you think the presentation, public uh release of all of these tapes will give some of these political prisoners a little bit of hope that they can get out from underneath the uh the, the heel of the government on their throat, which has been there for some of them for literally three years, including those being held without trial?
3: Well, that's a tough question because you know, this footage has been available to defense counsel, you know, prior to having been made public. So any kind of potentially exculpatory material presumably would have already been available. So on that basis, I wouldn't want to encourage any false hope. There is a possibility that this will enhance public pressure. Thank you. um, That could redound to the benefit um, of these uh, unjustly imprisoned individuals, but it could work the other way too because it could strengthen re- the resolve of the Department of Justice. So there's just a lot of variables in there. And the way that the January 6th defendants have been treated is just atrocious. It's it's beyond, you know, third world. It's beyond banana boat. This is, mm-hmm. um, you know, gulag territory, really genuine political <clears throat> prisoners, many of them. Um, and it's... Uh just really obscene yeah
1: kept in isolation kept in conditions that are worse than Gitmo according to those who have seen Gitmo I can't speak to it but others who have say that And, and, and and you just nailed it because it's yeah sure those things were made available to defense attorneys but to the public no not until now and that pressure I would hope as well as getting into the ears of their representatives in Congress to say this is not going to stand we had no idea now we do so that's a big part of it last question for you Darren is about the feds once again going back to them now. To my Knowledge And I don't have great knowledge because I'm not a cop, nor am I a lawyer. But I don't think a cop who is infiltrating, for example, a drug gang or a drug cartel is allowed to, in order to establish his cover, uh, use drugs. They're not allowed to commit crimes. They're not allowed to stick somebody up if they're, you know, trying to prove their mettle and so forth. They can't commit crimes. If that's true, and I don't know that it is, how can the feds who were there on the ground on J six screaming, let's go. We got like Ray Epps and others. We got to get in there. We got to get in there. They're encouraging people to go in, which is just as much conspiracy to commit an insurrection as for example, uh, the leader of the proud boys, uh, Enrique Tarrio, who was not even in DC that day.
3: Well, a couple things, according to my understanding, it is legally permissible under certain exceptional circumstances for undercover[s] uh, to commit crimes. There are certain dispensations they can get that are supposed to be authorized and go through, you know, various channels and so forth. Um, what they're not supposed to do is something called entrapment. That is to say, oh. they're not supposed to engineer the very crime or Potential crime that they um, ultimately uncover and prevent, and we saw this in a very egregious manner in the so-called Michigan kidnapping case, what's come to be called appropriately the Fednapping case, in which you know there were more feds involved than actual you know genuine participants, and. All of the critical decisions that moved the alleged plot forward were actually done by and facilitated by the feds themselves. So they were preventing a crime that wouldn't have even existed had they not been involved. And that's entrapment. Huge distinction.
1: That's such a great point. I'm so glad I asked you. I'm so glad we have revolver.news to get real news. People like John Solomon at Just the News to counter all of the fake news. Darren Beatty, thank you. Great information. We appreciate it. I hope to talk to you again. Thank you so much. I'm Bob Franson for Dr. G. Stay here on America First.